Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. Tonight we have a battle of the Bucktails, Lungeon Lures versus Musky Mayhem Tackle. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, and tonight I'm joined by Brad and Kerry Hoppy of Musky Mayhem Tackle. Brad, Kerry, how you doing tonight? Doing great. Um, looking forward to the podcast, man. And our special guest is the owner of Lungeon Lures, Chris Pia. Chris, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, typically on a podcast, we start out, we'd like to know the background on people, what got them started in the muskie industry, what got them started with their own company, kind of fishing background. I know it's kind of broad, kind of out there. So let's just start with Lungeon, let's just start with Lungeon Lures, and then we'll fill in the gaps after that. Kind of what got you in started with Lungeon Lures, although actually, you know, I should circle back. We got to know your background story, too, because that's actually probably the most important thing here. Not only are you a muskie fisherman, but you're also in the military. Let's start with that. Yeah, so I've I've been in the Air Force now for I would say almost almost thirteen years. Four four on the enlisted side, a little over eight now on the officer side. I came in in two thousand and three. I spent a couple years as a C five crew chief, and then after after I got back from Iraq, uh, we set up a C seventeen unit, and I started as a flying crew chief on those. So I got a chance to travel the world on a on a C seventeen and, and keep it in the air. That was pretty cool. And then I separated from the Air Force in 2007. I used my GI Bill to go to school down in Southern Illinois. And I did a program called the Reserve Officer Training Corps down there. And that's actually where I met Carrie, my wife. And then I commissioned again in 2010 and came back into the Air Force as an officer. So by trade, I'm an aircraft maintenance officer. Uh, my, what I'm actually doing out here at, at Hickam Air Force Base is I, I got an opportunity. I applied for a special program within the Air Force to broaden as a logistics officer. So they, the air force looks at aircraft maintenance, pure logistics, and then munitions and missile maintenance, all kind of in that logistics umbrella. And so sometimes they'll take a, a few officers every year and kind of slow them between the career fields. So out here at Hickam, uh, I work solely just pure logistics stuff. So I, I, I'm in supply right now. So that's kind of one of the things that, that, I'm, that I work with, but that's kind of my background as far as the military goes. Is that, is that kind of what you were looking for, Jeff? Yep, that's, that's perfect. We just want to know a little bit more about you. I mean, obviously there's, you know, like I said, you're a muskie fisherman, but the more important part of, about you is your story there. Um, so then let's... Yeah, I think I think we should take the time, too, to thank them for his service. Absolutely. You know, it's important. And, uh, and thank, and thank all of them for their service, you know, not just, yeah, not sure. just Chris. I mean, like you said, Mark Stock's there for you. A couple weeks back, I got to listen to some of the stories that Mark had told us and um, what what these people put their lives, you know, put put themselves through so we can have the freedoms that we have is truly amazing. It really is. And it's important to uh, to get out there and thank them because uh, without them, we wouldn't be able to enjoy it, just like you said, Jeff. So anyway, um, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, so go ahead. Nope, you're all good. Um, so, Chris... Let's talk about muskies. Let's talk about lunge and lures. Um, you know, you guys, obviously, when you first purchased the company, you started out as a bucktail company. Spinner baits and bucktails were your thing. You guys have made a left turn into uh, hard plastic baits. But let's uh, let's start back with the beginning of lunge and what, what got you, what made you, you know, get in and purchase lunge and lures? And, um, you know, let's just talk about, uh, let's talk about that. Sure, sure. So, it, it's actually kind of a funny story. So when I when I came back into the Air Force as an officer, you know, I, I got to be honest, I come from pretty humble beginnings, uh, not 
not a very wealthy background. I, I guess you would say we were probably lower middle class. I, I didn't have, I didn't even live in a house until I was 16 years old. So, you know, I, I kind of grinded it out in the enlisted court, you know, lived modestly, came back in the Air Force and officer, and, and I, I started to have a little bit more money. And to be honest, I, I really didn't know what to do with it. So luckily I, I had a mentor at the time in my deputy group commander. You know, I, I knew that he, he played around with finances and it was something he was interested in. And I kind of mentioned to him, I was like, hey, I really don't know what to do. You know, Carrie had joined me at Travis Air Force Base and you know, we wanted to start a savings account. We didn't really know kind of what to do with our money. And so he kind of sat me down and kind of gave me some pointers on, on things that I can do. And, and at the end of it, he looked at me and he said, there's one other thing I want you to do, Chris. And after I'd taken a bunch of notes, he said, I want you to take a risk while you're young, some type of financial risk, you know, because who knows, it, it may work out. I don't know if it's buying stocks, if it's investing in a company, whatever that financial risk is, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You define it on your own but go find something and take a risk. And so I walked out and I really didn't know what the heck that meant or, or where, what to do with it. And I talked to my wife a little bit about it. And, you know, we just said, okay, we'll kind of cross that bridge, but here's some things we can do to better posture ourselves financially down the road. So I went for, I went for a long run and, and I, I got back and, you know, out of the blue, I, I got a call from, from Chad Kane. And he mentioned to me that, that he was thinking about selling lunge and lures. And so, I had fished Lake Kincaid while I was down in Southern Illinois all the time. And so I, obviously I got to know him. I got to know Scott Donovan. I was out there all the time. I was just a college kid that just was always on the water. So through, through building our relationship there, we, we kind of knew each other. And also through Operation Muskie, actually, that's the first time we met was that Operation Muskie. I used the, the, the Nutbuster series all the time on Lake Kincaid and I had a lot of success with it. And so when he mentioned to me that he was going to sell the company, I was like, okay, I need to buy a bunch of baits because I, I don't want these to go to another manufacturer. I don't, I, don't want the, I don't want to lose an opportunity to grab some of these while I have the chance. So I said, okay, I'm going to put in a big order. You know, let, me, let me gather some notes. Let me talk to my dad, and, and, and I'll get an order into you. And so I said, yeah, sure thing. And then you know, I, I kind of thought about it and kind of took some notes. And then the next day I came home, I went for another long run. And I get back to my long run, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking. I'm like, well what if I just bought the company? You know, what, what, what if I just bought Lunge and Lures? This could be the risk that, that my colonel kind of mentioned, you know, like th that'd be cool. And so my wife came home and she looks at me and she's like, what, what's on your mind? And I'm like, what do you think about me buying a fishing tackle company? And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, well, Chad selling Lunge and Lures. I was going to buy a bunch of baits. And then the colonel said I need to take a risk. And what if I just bought Lunge and Lures and that could be a risk? And she's like, you don't have any business background. Like you, you got a history degree and you're an air force officer. Like I got it. Like you got some logistics knowledge, but this is not like our wheelhouse. And I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure out a, made, a way to make it work. And she's like, all right. You know, like, uh, what do I say? You know, no. And you're going to be mad at me. I'm like, let me just, let me just see what it's, you know, let me see what he's asking. Let me poke around. And she green lighted it. And so I started talking with, with Chad a little bit and, before I knew it, we were, we were knee deep in negotiations and, and I picked up the phone and I, I knew I couldn't do it by myself, right? That, that was one thing right off the bat. There's no way that I could have done it by myself. And one of my good friends and, and someone I consider family, Matt Dunkel, he's my fishing partner and my roommate at Southern Illinois. I called him. I said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. I can't do it by myself. What do you think about, you know, 
you know, linking up with me and, and taking this thing on. And he's like, sure, let's do it. And so before I knew it, I owned a fishing tackle company. Um, it, it, it was kind of crazy how, how it all worked out, but, um, you know, I, I really like the tandem nutbuster series. I, I like, I, I like the spinner baits to be honest. I didn't even, I didn't even own, I don't think a lungeon bucktail at the time. I, I mean, I knew they were made, but it wasn't really my thing. I, I just, I don't know. I had, a, I had a lot of confidence in, in, in the, in the tandem line. And so that's just why I kind of went with it. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like your style, Chris, you went to order some baits. And he bought the company. It's pretty good. <laughs> and not and not only that, he duped his wife and Matt into yeah. thinking this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's that's even the bigger hoax there. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. You, you must be a heck story. of a salesman, Chris. Yeah, I I don't know. I I mean, looking back, I, it was just an opportunity, and I don't know. I just kind of jumped in, and anything, anytime I do something, I, I've listened to quite a few of the podcasts and. And I, and I kind of know, uh, you know, Brad's philosophy and, and, and some of the, the character traits that he has. And, you know, they translate well into musky fishing. And, and for me, same type of situation. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just, I just worked hard. You know, I mean, the number of hours that Matt and I and Carrie put in those first few years were ridiculous. I, I, I mean, just ridiculous. But... I don't know. In the end, I think that we were able to pull it together and make it work. So I, I'm grateful. I, I, I'm glad that I took the risk. I'm, I'm very happy with Lungeon. I, I love what I do. I'm passionate about not only the industry, but the manufacturing side and obviously fishing. So it, it seems like it's worked out thus far. So uh, maybe you can explain, Chris, I mean, your logistics being that you're in Hawaii, where is the home base then located today? Okay, so we do our our distribution out of Southern Illinois. That's where that's where Matt lives, and that's kind of like our our logistics node. That's where we we do most of our distribution from. So okay. I, as far as I, like, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was I was confused because I thought you were out in New York too. So I don't. I'm trying to put all this in my mind together. I guess. Yeah. So like Matt, like lines of effort wise, like we we all kind of have our swim lane essentially, right? So Matt kind of focuses primarily on the distribution piece and, and, and has his hand in the manufacturing of the spinnerbaits and the bucktails. Katie helps him out a lot with that. Carrie and I kind of take more of the, the retail side of it, you know, whether it's interfacing with our retail partners, uh, a lot of the asset management piece, like a lot of the stock analysis, setting in quantities, coordinating relationships with our manufacturers, down to, you know, the financial end of it, right? So Carrie does all the finances. So it, it's, it's all over the place, but we found a way to kind of make it work. In the beginning, it was all over the place. We were walking all over each other, but just through perseverance and communication, we found a, made a, found a way to make it work. That's good stuff. That's really good stuff. So how does the New York fit into this whole story, Chris? I mean, because I, I, there was a short time where you were living out there, right? It was actually New Jersey. So I was New stationed Jersey? at, okay. uh, yes, sir, I was stationed at uh, Joint Base, uh, Fort Dix, McGuire, Lakehurst. And that was, at, that was in New Jersey. So I lived in Northern California for actually, I was stationed there for eight and a half years. Four, four on the enlisted side, four and a half on the officer side. 
and then cross country moved to to New Jersey. And so that that was kind of cool because not only did I get a chance to do lungeon, but I could also chase muskies out there. So that was fun. And Carrie and I didn't have any kids then, so it was just full fledged chasing muskies every weekend and and working hard at lunch and and the air force very cool and how many years has it been now chris for for, for what for lungeon that you purchased uh, lungeon what year geez. i want to say it was 2013 when we okay. started talks i think it was in the towards the tail end of 2013 is when when we actually acquired lungeon very cool well, owning a bait company is a wild, uh, wild ride. There's no doubt. How is it uh, to be in a retailer, Jeff? About the same as what you guys talk about. Um, <laughs> you know, there's two common themes in this podcast: side Im- side imaging and hard work. So, if you could take two things away from this podcast, that's pretty much what it is. If you're going to go chase muskies, <laughs> you should probably have side imaging. If you're going to get involved in the musky industry, you should probably be ready to work hard. I think all of us can agree on that. Hands, yeah. hands down. So, you know, for me, it's the same thing as it is for you. Like, I'm doing this podcast right now. It's Friday night. You know, um, I'm going to leave for St. Clair tomorrow, so I really need to be packing for that. I got a bunch of products on, that came in this week. I need to get those online because, as you guys know, um, my wife's pretty much been running TRO for the last three weeks because all I've done is fish. You know, we've been chasing around from – Minnesota to northern Wisconsin to southern Wisconsin. Now we're out to St. Clair. Then I come back home and I'm back to Minnesota. And then one more trip to northern Wisconsin all in the next two weeks. Just trying to film stuff for YouTube. Do some, you know, some videos, instructional stuff. So, I mean, you guys know how it is. It's just a, it's a daily grind. And I think we can all agree that's that, that's how it is. I mean, it's, everybody thinks it's super glamorous, but man, it's a lot of work. No doubt about it. So, Chris, being in Hawaii... Um, tell me how you're fishing muskies now, because I'm sure you still are. Um, you you yeah. got to make you make time, right? That's a it's a really sad subject to be honest with you. But <laughs> I mean, real talk. I mean, I'm getting ready to, to take my annual pilgrimage up to Lake of the Woods, and that's kind of that's kind of my life now. Um, not like it was in New Jersey, but again, it, it is what it is, right? You got. You got the good, bad, and the ugly, right? I mean, I got to count my blessings. I never in a million years thought I was going to be stationed out here. So, I mean, a lot of people spent, you know, will save up their entire life to come out here and vacation. So, am I chasing muskies every weekend or every other weekend? No. But I also have the opportunity to spend time with my wife and, and our daughter, Charlie, and in a beautiful location. So, so no, I'm not chasing muskies every weekend. I only get a chance really to fish once a year now, but... It is what it is. I, I keep myself busy fishing out here. My wife green-lighted a boat. She said I could get a boat when I moved out here so I can go out and chase pelagics. But I just, to be honest with you, Brad, I, I didn't trust myself. I, I knew once I took the salt dive, it was I, I was going to be lost forever. And I, I'd i never come back, you know. And <laughs> I kind of had to change up my priorities a little bit. But So, so I got into to like pretty much hardcore shore fishing out here where where i chase a, a lua I, it's a whole other conversation for another day essentially they're, they're giant trevally they're extremely difficult to catch from shore it, it's kind of like there's a, a sub a sub cult like following out here like there is for musky fishermen on the mainland and so that, that's what i spend my time doing is chasing the lua 
just kind of sitting out on the beach and trying to catch small fish, like flying them out and catch catch big alua. And, and and at least my wife can come visit me. They can come spend time with me on the beach, and I stay there, and then they leave, and at some point I come home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm guessing when you hit Lake of the Woods, you probably fish like an animal, huh? 16-hour days, sun up to sundown. My dad has got to the point where he's like, uh, he, he's, he's trying to call in designated hitters at this point because he, he even pulled me aside before we even left this year and said, hey, man, like, uh, we, we got to take some more breaks or something or, or you just got to, you know, you got to know that I'm just going to sit in the back for a while because you, you get after it. But I love I love Lake of the Woods. I've been going up there since, since the, actually it was Operation Musty 2. That's the first time I went up, and I've been up there every year since. And what what an amazing fishery! What a, what a beautiful location! And for some reason, the way I fish and the way my mind works—that's just for me. It's just my playground. I just I have always done well up there, despite challenges. And I'm a structure fisherman by trade, and I got an opportunity to get mentored by some really good fishermen up there. And I just I love it. I just I could go up there and, and spend months and, and be a happy camper. Well, hopefully someday you can do that, Chris. I mean, uh, it's got to be challenging. I mean, I I find this so interesting because you know, being from over in Hawaii right now, you're running a musky business, and I mean, I I don't know, man, you got it your hands full, that's for sure. It is. It's busy. I mean, Matt and I we found a way to to make it work. I mean. We have staff meetings just like any other business would. You know, we, we solidify, like, our lines of effort, our priorities. We all kind of, you know, we communicate, you know, early and often. And so we just make it work, you know. Do I stay up late at night? Yes. Jeff, do you stay up late at night? Never. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brad, Brad and Carrie, I'm sure you guys have spent plenty of nights up late, so... It's just what we do. We put our Brad, we put our Brad head down and does. we work. Brad still does, but it's not really because he's working. <laughs> <laughs> That's just because he's calling me, asking me to you know do podcasts and start them at one o'clock in the morning. Like, hey Jeff, I got a guest lined up for one a.m. Let's do it. <laughs> like, no, no, Brad, no. <laughs> uh, we'll sleep with some other day. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of late nights, you know. It's the same thing like you said, Chris. Like, do I ever stay up late at night? I'm sure Brad and Carrie do the same thing. I mean, tonight, I don't know. I I'm willing to bet I won't get out of the shop before midnight. We'll probably won't be done podcasting for another forty five minutes or so. So it'll probably be midnight, one AM before I get out of you know, out into the shop. I still got like I said, I gotta get all my stuff ready for my trip, so it's gonna be early morning. It's always I mean, if you're if you're doing what you enjoy, if you're doing what you love at the end of the day, it doesn't really feel like work. So I, I guess I'm fortunate enough with, with that aspect. That, that I love it. I enjoy it. And it's still fun. So I, I don't mind so, it so much. So, Chris, I want to um, re-ask you that question in 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay? No, that, that, that's, it's a fair question. You know, it, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I get it. I get it. No, it's all good. It's all good. There's just it's a, it's definitely work some days. The thing I is, ask, but... I'm sorry. The thing is, is that you know it does become a job, and uh, but you know it's truly our passion too. And I, one of the neatest things is to be able to talk to some of our customers and hear their success stories and 
you know, get texted pictures throughout the whole musky season and, and hear from these people, you know, it's so cool. That That's why we do it too, you know, not only for the passion of musky fishing, but also the customers that we get to, uh, to hear from and, and visit with shows through phone conversations, emails, what have you, that that's what keeps you going. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that, that's really what fills me up. I mean, it, it's a grind doing the administrative duties and building and whatnot. But when you get a chance to interact with your customers and, and, and hear their success stories and see them go out on the water and, and execute and pull it off, that, that's when it's like, yes, you know, and that's actually, I actually enjoy the shows. I, I know it's a grind, but what fills me up is that, that interaction with the customers because that, that's what fills my gas tank back up. That's why I hear those stories and I get a chance to, to see it, see pictures. I don't know. It, that, that's what fills me up. And, and the same thing on the Air Force side, right? So, like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a hardcore tactician. I, I love, you know, I love what we do, but I also like the people side of it, right? Like the, 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 the development, the mentorship piece and seeing people overcome obstacles and, and persevere and, and grow and develop. And, and when I get a chance to see that, that, that's what keeps me coming back. That's why I do what I do. I, I, I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but that, that's just, that's what fills up my gas tank. That's what keeps me going. Not cheesy at all. I, I totally agree with you. So I, uh, it's huge. It's important to, to be able to do that and uh, re-energize. And, and if that's your way of doing it, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Well, I think one thing, you know, Chris had mentioned the shows. I think that's one thing, you know, as much as, as much work as they are for all of us, I think it is our one time a year to really get out and talk to our customers face to face. Um, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a shop for anybody to come in and shop with. It's all, you know, internet. So they don't build a relationship with me. So it's good for us to get out, talk to customers, hear the success stories. So like Chris said, I mean, they're a lot of work. They are. I mean, they're a ton of work for us. You know, set up for us is over 40 man hours just to get the booth up. Um, it's another, I don't know, whatever, eight hours to tear down onto the next city, reorder, you know, short time frames, a lot of late nights, but they are worth it. It's great to come out and talk to customers. Maybe if you worked a little faster, Jeff, you cut that 40 hours to 20. Well, I'll talk to Steve and Kyle about that. I know that... <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking, what if we just went down to one booth and brought like 10 items and just said, you know, here, this is what you get. <laughs> just set up. I remember those. I remember those days, actually. Well, I remember um, them really I'd well. Have, I'd have my guide booth and I'd have a few showgirls hanging there. And um, it was uh, it was really exciting times. No doubt about it. It was easy, quick, and, uh, and we had a lot of fun, too. Yep, that's for sure. We still have a lot of fun at those shows. I mean... Oh yeah, you know it's just we all do. But there, there's a certain time a year where you start thinking about them, and you kind of like you like them, but you kind of dread it at the same time. You know, I'm I, part of me dreads it mostly because of the weather. You just never know what you're going to deal with. I mean, last year it was five shows we did. We had snow at all five shows, so everyone was impacted by snow. It was, I mean, it, it was tough. That was a tough show season. Hopefully, you know, our 2020 show season isn't like that. No doubt. Chris wouldn't know anything about snow, though, would you, Chris? Actually, I, I did make it to the Minnesota show, so that, that's a, like that's a crazy piece. So Carrie and I jump on a one-way flight from Honolulu to Minnesota, right? We take a red eye. I, I jump in the truck. I get the trailer and drive all the way up to Minnesota, and then 
download and set up, right? So that, that was a, probably a, a good 24-hour day. I, I don't think anyone traveled from as far as we did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there might have, was there any Swedes there? Yeah, there might have been a couple of Swedes there, actually. So Okay, they got me beat. They might have beat you, but, but I bet uh, nobody did it in 24 hours the way you did it. <laughs> Nor would I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've all done that a little few times, too. Um, you drive all night to get home so you can turn around and go to work yeah, when, the next morning. When Carrie and I first started this deal here, you know, we would we were both still working. And um, so we'd be at the Chicago show and we'd just charge as hard as we could, you know, to get loaded up so we could get back on the road. A lot of times um, I would literally jump in the shower and turn around and go to work for the day because um, I didn't want to burn any vacation. So I don't know the things that you do when you when you have the passion and the desire. But uh, fortunately, um, we've made this our own career and uh, and we love it. So it's all worked out for the best. Well, Chris, so we've talked about bucktails and spinnerbaits. Let's talk about the left turn you guys made then into crankbaits because, in my opinion, that's what really kind of got, that's what really, really jump-started your business, in my opinion. And I think, based on my conversations with you, I think you could agree that's probably been the biggest strategic move you guys have made. I, I would agree. I I mean, just from a, an outside assessment, I mean, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir with the, the audience that I got on, on, on board here, but realistically looking at at what we could do with the platform that we had i mean the bucktail and spinnerbait market was saturated i mean when i say saturated i mean that's that's an understatement right so it, it was tough i think we, we did some cool stuff with the spinnerbaits i mean i think we kind of rounded out the, the line about as much as we could but we i mean it, it it was very evident that if we wanted to continue to grow our company we would have to do it in a manner that not only was efficient but effective right so so that was that was the the left turn right so matt and i you know we we talked about it for a long time and and actually i brought up the conversation with chad Harmon a year like a year prior before i actually settled up and really started talking business with them and and, and talking about taking over the smoke and bones line so it, it was like a twofold kind of move for us one I mean, I, I know, I know you guys still hand build all your lures. You know, we just didn't have the capacity necessarily to continue to push in that market, right? So that there's only so many widgets that you can push through the manufacturing machine, in that sense. So we we were going to have to do it in a manner that that made sense business wise, but also man hours wise. So. I saw, I saw the smoke and bones line. I really liked it. We'd had a lot of success on it. And I, and I knew that if I could scale it, right. One, let's, let's be real. I, I had to have a hundred percent without a shadow of my doubt, you know, confidence in the lures, Right. So I had that confidence, but then it's like, how do I scale this? Because at the time I, I'll call them a wood bait because it, it really wasn't a wood bait. He made it out of a composite, but it, essentially they were handmade. And there was no way we were going to make more stuff by hand. We, we just didn't have the capacity to do that. So it was how do we scale it, right? And so that was kind of the piece that kind of really pushed us over the edge is when once we, we got into the, the molding realm, then now we're talking velocity, right? Now we, we've got a product that, that is fairly hard to get that's producing a lot of fish. 
but now we can offer it to a whole bunch of musky fishermen. And so that was kind of the, the springboard that kind of launched it, right? So that was kind of my thought process. And, and once we kind of ran with it, it, it just kind of took – I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. I was really worried, and I didn't think it would get as big as it did, to be honest with you. I, I knew that it would be successful, but I didn't know how successful it would be. I mean, it's just – I guess it was just a tool that not a lot of people had had an opportunity to use. I mean – Especially up there in Minnesota, I know Brad. You were talking earlier about. I mean, you primarily fish big baits, but there there is a bite at least down south in in, a, in in the Midwest and even in in Wisconsin on small baits. There's a lot of fish that won't go on a big butt uh, on a big bait that will commit to a smaller one. So it it had some properties. You know that 22 short kind of wandered around and it was just it got action. So. I think once people found a home for it in their in their tackle box and started to use it, that's when that's when it kind of exploded. So from there, Chris, you you've kind of shifted gears and added to that that twenty two, right? The twenty two short is kind of grown, right? Yeah. So so when I bought the the smoke and bones line, I got the twenty two short, the Chad Chad, and then he had a twenty two mag. The Chad Chad is, is a really neutral running bait, and so it it shines in the summer, and it it's not erratic. It, it doesn't get as much action as the 22 short, so I think guys have found a way to make it work, but it's, it's a much more narrow – it has a narrower customer base, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, in Ohio, it works really, really, really good in the summer. It's a good green bay lure. And so – and if you're going to run it in a spread of lures – I would run it and it wouldn't get bit all but once a weekend where I'd catch a few fish on 22 shorts. If I was trolling multiple lines, my Chad Chad rod was only going to go off maybe once, but when it did go off, get the net and get a camera because it's going to be a good fish. And so then it was like, okay, well, what do we do with this? And, and I, I'm a, I'm a power fisherman. I mean, that that's why Matt and I get along so great. He's a finesse guy. I'm a power fisherman. It, it works for fishing. It works for business. It just works for personality wise. And so I looked at the 22 short and, and, and I was, you know, I, I called Chad Harmon. And I said, I want a bigger version of this that I can cast. I, I want something in the six to seven inch range that I can cast that, 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 that I can, I can work that way. And, and so we went with a couple of different variations. The first time it came out that 22 long, when he first made the first prototype, it actually had the same lip on it as a 22 short. And so I got it in like, I don't know, I want to say like October of 16 or 17, and I cast it around a little bit. And it was kind of like a baby grandma. It kind of twitched well, but it just didn't thump. It didn't really have what I wanted. And I picked up the phone, and I, I was like, hey, man, like, what, what's your thoughts on this thing? He's like, I, I like it. It's okay. And I'm like, I want a deep diving lip on it. Like, I, I think it would hit a lot harder. And he goes, that's all I could think about when I was making it is putting a deeper diving lip on it. And I was like, well, why don't you just do that? He's like, well, I want to make it happy. So go to, you know, round two, you know, here we go with this thing. And so I get it in my mailbox. I want it. It was like maybe like a day before my birthday. And of course I, I told Karen fishing on my birthday. So leave me alone. And so we went out. I completely forgot I had it until we rolled up on like a rock bar that it, there's an island and, and one of the lakes that we fish and a rock bar that comes way off and, and rocks go down to like 15 feet. And so I was like, Oh crap. I forgot. I got that new variation. on This would be a really good opportunity to kind of test it out. 
And so I, I took it out and uh, my buddy looked at me and goes, what the hell is that? And I said, don't worry about it. You know? And he's like, I, well, that looks good. I was like, I just want to see what it does. And I fired it out there and it literally was clicking rocks all the way down. I, I mean, my first guess, I was like, man, this thing's still hitting it like 10 feet. And I'm like, I'm sitting in 20 and I've got it three quarters way back to the boat and I'm still clipping rocks. And he's like, huh, that thing gets down, doesn't it? And I'm like, yeah, it's thumping really good. Fired out there again, click, 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 looking good. Okay, this thing's cool. Third cast, clank, 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 boom, rod blows up. I'm like, I look at him, I said, get the net. He said, get out of town. I said, no, dude, get the damn net. And lo and behold, it was one of the fattest 47-inch fish that I'd ever seen. I mean, thing was just oozing. And I was like, okay, I think we may have something here. And we went on a tear for the next, I want to say, six weeks out there, just beating their heads in with it. And so that's kind of how we expanded the, the 22 longs. So that, that was fun. I mean, I, I don't really consider myself uh, like a bait maker, but I know what right looks like, and, and I can kind of describe it to folks. I, Brad, does that make any sense to you? Oh, hands down. Hands down, Chris, because, I mean, you know, third cast, what's that do to your to your ego and your uh, your confidence? You know what I mean? I That's huge, and I don't know. Even myself, Carrie has developed almost every bait that we have here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had some input and ideas throughout this, but, you know, Carrie is honestly, um, she's the one that's really steered the ship when it comes to developing some of these baits. Um, I could say this or that, and she takes it and runs on her own. You know what I mean? Um, and and we've had some of those same experiences, Chris, and, and it's huge when it happens. Um, I know you've probably had the same experiences, half of them go in the dumpster you know what i mean <laughs> you start oh yeah with- there's been yeah there's been quite a few duds and and that was kind of like we when when we, we came out with the ss we went through a couple versions of that like i again i'm a power fisherman and and i know a lot of people like to cast and so the 22 short is primarily a trolling bait but there's guys that that will cast anything it's just the way they're they're wired right and so you know it dives deep. I mean, on the cast, it goes down maybe six to eight feet. And so, you know, a lot of the areas that you guys fish are, you know, are a lot different than, than down south, whatever, whatever. Like, I wanted to fish some shallow cover with that bait because I know if I'm kicking across the top of weeds or if I'm making some contact with some timber or some rocks, a lot of these fish in the summer will move up. They're going to pull up on a spot and sit in a foot to three foot of water. And if you can get in there with, with sometimes a smaller profile bait, that's what's going to trigger a bite. And so we went through a couple renditions of it. And then lo and behold, when we got it right, I mean, it was like almost instantaneous feedback. I mean, boom, you fire it in there, you click it off of something and rod loads up. So, so that's kind of, you know, that, that's, that's like kind of my piece of it. It's like, I got this trolling line and now I'm like, okay, what can I do with this trolling line to, to appeal to more of my style of fishing? And, and what's nice is I, I feel like in our community, there's guys that are hardcore trollers and there's guys that are hardcore casters. There's some guys that do a little bit of both. And so guys, you know, I come out with the the SS, which is a shallow casting version. And I get 20 pictures this spring where guys are already trolling them and catching fish. And I'm like, cool story. I didn't design it for trolling, but okay. It looks like you, you found another application for it. You know, that's awesome. So why don't you, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more, about each one of those products and, and how you fish them or how others are fishing them so that it kind of shows that wide range, Chris. 
All right. I, I don't want to. I don't want to turn it into a, a lure promo thing, but I, I'll kind of walk through it. I mean, to be honest, no, but I, I mean, the tw- yeah. Here's no, here's the, the deal. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Chris. Here's the deal. I mean, honestly, you know, it isn't just a promo. The deal is, is that you're making some cool products. We need to hear about them, and we need to know what applications we can use them in. And and people out there got to realize that, you know, there's other products out there as well. I mean, Lungeon makes a good product. There's no doubt about it. But uh, the one thing that I will say is, you know, similar baits can be used in similar aspects. And I think touching on that, Chris, will really kind of open up some ears. No, no, that's good. I, I get it. I get the intent. So we'll just start with the, the, the regular 22 short, the, the, the kind of the flagship crankbait that we have. Uh, again, I, I primarily view it as a trolling bait just because of the erratic action that it has, you know, on the troll. It's kind of hunting. It'll eventually center, but it's always kind of doing its thing. And I think it's, it triggers a lot of fish. Can it be casted? Heck yes, it can. If you want to, you know, cast some, some stuff in that maybe five to eight range, you know, maybe even a little bit deeper it's right up your alley. My recommendation would be don't, don't kill the action with like a heavy fluorocarbon leader. Uh, John, John Beatty has an awesome spring leader. I think is what he calls it. His wire leaders are, are really nice that I like to use with, with those when I'm casting them. As far as, you know, when I troll them, I, 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 I will downsize my leaders a little bit just to really get that bait to walk out. The Chad Chad, so we have a couple different variations of Chad Chad. I kind of already talked about the, the ABS version. It's a very neutral running bait. Really, really, really good in the summer on the troll. I, I don't really cast the plastic versions. I, cla- I, I cast my wood versions. I absolutely love the square bill. It, uh, Lake of the Woods, I, I've got them laid out for my dad. He loves to cast cranks. If you're, you're casting rocks or timber or anything where you want to make contact, it's got a real erratic wobble. And it just seems to trigger fish that are really set up for, for feeding in that in those shallow, you know, three to five foot range. And then the 22 long, I don't, I troll them in the summer. So when those fish set up on the thermocline and it's kind of difficult to get bait down to them, the 22 long has a very steep dive curve. So you don't have to run a bunch of line out. Like I, I could put it out, you know, 20 feet back. And I know, I know I'm already down there at 10 feet. I mean, it, it gets down in a hurry, but it also thumps like a freight train. So in the summer when I'm trolling, I've done really, really well on in open water or even just kind of contour trolling. That's on my outside, my outside down rod is just that guy kind of hanging out there where I'm taking the 22 shorts and they're going to be more on my inside, my inside stuff. But then in the fall, that that's really where I feel like the 22 long shines is, is on the cast. I, I love to cast points. I love to cast, you know, drop-offs, whether they be, you know, really, really subtle or, or some sharp ones. For some reason, when those fish pull off, you know, when, they, when that cool starts setting, they pull off to that first drop-off or that point, and they're kind of hanging a little bit lower, it's a great tool to get, that, to get a bait in their face. And, and we've gotten crushed on them. And what's crazy is the thing dives so deep that, like, I, I always tell customers to pay attention to figure eight because that thing doesn't come up. Like when you go to first figure eight on the first turn, you probably won't even see the bait. And so as it's kind of climbing the, 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 the water column, they'll come out of nowhere. I mean, I've, I've literally about got the rod ripped out of my hand a couple of times, you know, figure eight in that thing because it's kind of spiraling up and they will just launch on it. So just if you're throwing the 22 long in the early fall, just pay attention to figure eight because they'll just smash it. 
So that, that that's kind of the 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 lineup right now. I think you, you know. I know Jeff and you had a chance to to get out with one of our new products that we'll be releasing next year at the shows. I've got a lot of good feedback from the folks that had a chance to prototype it. I think it'll be a good addition to folks' tackle boxes. I think the Minnesota guys will like it, and that's about as much as they'll say about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't even sure if we could bring it up. Um, I'm glad we <laughs> did. I, uh, it looks really good in the water. And, uh, you know, I'm still, I've still got about a week left of trolling here, and then I'm going to be shifting into the casting side. But uh, I, I definitely, I mean, we got a little bit of time in on it. Um, unfortunately, we didn't catch on it. But I think if I had more time with them, uh, probably get it done. That's for sure. It looked good. Yeah, it, it's definitely going to be one of those summer troll, late fall type baits. But I, the, the the response I got from the guys that had their hands on it, it was, again, some of that instantaneous feedback. I gave one to Greg Thomas, and then I get a text 45 minutes into his day and he sent me a picture of a 47 with it hanging out of his mouth. So I'm like, okay, I think we're, I think we got the right one. <laughs> you're, you're dialed in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it also, it also looked like it'd be a great Twitch bait. Honestly, I didn't get a chance to cast it, but uh, I think it, it probably would look like a, probably work really well twitching. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Good stuff. If Jeff would have left me one, maybe I could have sent you a picture too. But he's pretty stingy. Well, well, you know, I got to keep all the secret stuff for myself because I'm going to use it all the time. <laughs> he's already got them online, Chris. Yeah, that that does. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. Hey, I got four. <laughs> I got four kids to feed. I got to do something over here. <laughs> I mean, selling off a few prototypes. You know, I'm not. I'm not above that. So. Oh yeah, good stuff. Well, Chris, let's talk about uh, let's talk about muskies. You know the fishing aspect of it. You chasing them. So you've chased them in New Jersey. You've chased them in the Midwest. You've chased them down south. Um, you want to talk maybe like pattern differences? You know between like locations. Like when you were in New Jersey, how much different did your tactics vary than what you do when you go to say Lake of the Woods or if you're fishing in Wisconsin, things like that. Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Jeff. To be honest, I, I really don't have much input on, on where Uncle Sam wants to send me. So I just kind of, I figure it out, you know, when I get there. But there's actually a lot of research that gets done beforehand. So, you know, when I, when I was stationed out in Northern California, I, I predominantly chased largemouth bass on, on two of the top 10 bass fisheries in the nation. So I, I th- I'm a multi-species guy by trade, so I think that that kind of helps kind of build up some some different patterns and approaches and and i encourage everyone to go out there and, and chase some different types of fish at certain points in their life just it gives you some different reference points and and kind of will help you kind of put the whole picture together so as frustrating as it may be the first year year and a half as you start to put the pieces together the next time you move or the next time you go to a new location patterning those fish out becomes that much easier so as far as muskies are concerned I got my I got my my musky career started up in northern Wisconsin. My my father brought me up to the Rhinelander, you know, Eagle River area every year. That was our that was our vacation, and so it was kind of uh, you you weren't a man in the Pia household until you had caught a musky, and so I honestly didn't even catch my first musky until I was 19 years old. 
And I'll tell you what, I had to work for it, but it was probably the most rewarding day of my life. And I, I, I'll never forget, you know, that, that a feeling of, of achievement when you first nab one. So that was, that was cool. But yeah, so Northern Wisconsin, and then I, I joined the military, I go off to, to California. And so I kind of, you know, would take vacations with my dad, a little here and there to, to Northern Wisconsin, had a little bit of success, but I really got into it hardcore when I got back to Southern Illinois. So I, I cut my teeth on, on southern reservoirs. And so they, they fish a little bit differently than the northern lakes. Uh, we don't have a closed season, per se, other than the summer, because you got to back off of them when, when the water temps are too high. But, you know, we're, we're fishing in January. And so whether it be rattle traps, you know, small baits, getting out there, pre-spawn, chasing fish, that was really cool. And then kind of that shad base kind of lake, kind of structure where you're, you're, you're fishing pockets, you're fishing points, you're fishing breaks, you know, that, that was kind of my baseline, you know, when we bounced around kind of Southern Illinois and then go back, you know, get back in the military and go back to California. And that's, that's when I really got into bass fishing because I, I didn't have anything else to do. Um, boom, moved to the East coast and now I'm fishing in New Jersey. So I, obviously we have a lot of resources at our fingertips. There's, you've got the internet and you've got Facebook and you've got, maps you know you've got interactive maps there's so much intel out there i started to do my research you know stocking reports was pretty much one of the first things i started looking at before i moved out to new jersey and i i kind of calculated where, where should i go and believe it or not my goal was to catch a muskie the first day i got out there now I don't think my wife was very happy with that goal uh, because we had a lot of unpacking to do and a lot of other more pressing matters than Chris Pia catching a muskie the first days in New Jersey. But she's a very patient woman, and lo and behold, you know, she lets me go out. And so I had read a lot of stocking reports. I knew there was a lake where where I think I had a good chance at it. And, and believe it or not, the, the first day I was out in New Jersey, I, I caught a not a big fish, but it was a, like a 36-inch hybrid on a Nutbuster Junior. And, and kind of crack that code. So I will say that the New Jersey fishing was, was, it was the wild, wild west. It was absolutely bananas. They've been stocking for years out there, but they just don't have the pressure that you see in the Midwest. So it was not uncommon for me to be out on a huge lake with maybe only one or two guys musky fishing. And I don't want to take this, I don't want the listeners to take this the wrong way, but I think in the Midwest, and in the South and in Canada, I think there's so much pressure. You have to learn at a much faster clip. Otherwise, you're going to get crushed. So I think that the, they hadn't necessarily seen some of the techniques, tactics, and procedures that <laughs> I had applied in, in some of those waters. And so I just I, I did really well when I got out there. A lot of the same patterns applied, you know, pre-spawn, post-spawn, summer fishing, you know, there's no close season in New Jersey, so some of the winter fishing, whether it was jigging or, or using suckers, et cetera, I mean, it was just a free-for-all. <laughs> it was it was a very fun two and a half, three years while I was there. A lot of big fish. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I was just going to say that's a pretty cool story. I mean, it's awesome that you've been able to get out and experience a bunch of that. You know, the majority of my musky fishing has been done in Wisconsin and Minnesota. I've never even been to Canada. The closest I'm going to get is this weekend when we go fish in St. Clair. I'll be in Canadian waters, but I'm actually not going to set foot in Canada. It's just, um, I guess, you know, it for you, being able to fish all those different places, it just makes you that that more of a well-rounded angler. Just approaching, you know, you can probably find certain things about, 
you know, a lake over in Wisconsin that might remind you about something in New Jersey. And you can learn, you probably learn things out there that you can apply to your future trips to, you know, Lake of the Woods or wherever else you're going to go. Yeah, I, I would say I, I am a, I'm an efficiency guy. When I'm on the water, I, my goal is just to, to contact fish. I mean, I, I throw a lot of power baits initially to kind of locate fish. Like, I, I'll take, I mean, we have a bucktail called an LT9. Mayhem has one. I think you guys are calling it the single girl. I mean, it's a very, you know, it, it's nothing sexy, but you can contact a, a lot of fish on it, right? And so what's funny is we've, we've had it in our lineup for years, and it doesn't necessarily sell that well. And I, I'm glad to see Mayhem having success with a similar type of bait because it's a very universal tool to just get out there and contact fish. I don't care if it's a follow if it's a look, if it's, it's a blow up, they're giving me some feedback. So when I get on the water, I try to get feedback as fast as I can. So I'm going through a bunch of different baits, whether top water, bucktails, glide baits, you know, and I'm trying to figure out what's going to make that fish tick for the day. Now, once you kind of get a feel for it, then it's, then you're going to narrow it down. Right. So you start broad and then you, then you start to fine tune it. So, you know, I, I just try to cover as much water as I can and get some feedback from fish and, you know, I, I look at it, I, I, I try to read fish. I mean, I think that's one thing that I'm sure Brad can kind of talk about. Like, when I see a fish coming in, I, I pretty much have a good idea of what she's going to do, you know. And if something's not right, you know, if, if they're just lazy or they don't seem to be quite right, then it's like, okay, what did I learn from that? What type of feedback did that fish give me? What type of information did I gain? Do I need to change my color? Is it a size thing? Is it a speed thing? And so I'm constantly going through that, that Rolodex in my head, like, okay, I'm going to fish this bait twice as fast as I was for the next two hours and see if, if the fish reacts different to it. Okay, no feedback, maybe I need to slow it down. No feedback, okay, maybe I need to change color. Oh, wow, boom, there's a fish. Ah, now we're on to something, okay? So I, I constantly will change my approach on the water. I, it's rare that I go out there and pound the same thing for 12, 16 hours straight, unless you've got them dialed in, which is – which is fun when it happens, but those days are few and far between. <laughs> I think that's interesting. Chris, maybe share, you know, uh, how fast do you change? Okay. So you're, you're throwing this bait, boom, 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 boom. How quick do you change before, you know, cause we've talked about this in a few podcasts. When do you change and how often do you change and what makes you change? And you're kind of touching on some of that. Um, what's the time frame? So, you know, I, I actually heard your podcast and it actually got me thinking about that very same question. And I guess it's situationally dependent. And, and, and I know that's not the answer you want to hear, but I, I want to, I'm going to shift it a little bit and then I'll come back to it. I, I, I'm an, again, I, I talk about efficiency and numbers. So the, the reason that I've, I, I, it's rare that I go fishing by myself because I think that you're at a significant disadvantage when you're on the water and you've only got one bait in the water. So when my dad and I fish or when Matt and I fish or when Jeff and I fish or whoever, we're usually running different baits because now you're getting feedback on two different channels. Or if you got a third guy in the boat, now you're getting feedback on three different channels. So it's all about efficiency, right? So it, my, my biggest tip for someone when it, find somebody you could fish with, and, and don't throw the same thing unless you get them all dialed in on, on one specific type of lure. Try to keep that feedback loop open. Now, as far as when to transition, I mean, some of that is I, I go with high percentage lures. I'm going to throw top water. 
I'm going to throw a bucktail. I'm going to throw something that, that I can efficiently use, you know, across the, the widest range of, of space and time, right? So, so that's why I'm going to go with those high-use baits. It's rare that I actually will, like, if, if I'm not getting any feedback on, like, my power fishing lures, maybe I'm going to go to an area where I think that those fish may be positioned and slow down, right? So it's like, okay, they're not going on top water and bucktails today, but I know that this time of year, they should be using this type of structure. So I'm going to go back through that area with a slower presentation, right? Feedback, 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 no. Feedback, 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 no. Okay, now I need to change it up. Maybe I need to get a reaction bite, right? Maybe it's time to take out, you know, a bulldog or a rip bait or a glide bait. Because in my opinion, it takes a lot of time to fish a glide bite, a glide bait effectively. Same thing with the bulldog. Like you, you need to be in an area where you're going to be able to work that bait. And so that's kind of how I walk through it. I, I don't know if that makes any sense at all. No, I think it makes great sense, Chris. You know, there's one thing that maybe I would add. And um, a lot of times, uh, you know, muskies can be unique, especially in clear water. And I fish a lot of clear water. But, you know, it, you might start getting a few follows here and there. And it doesn't matter what bait it is. Um, they come in lazy. They kind of, they don't detect. Uh, or they, they've already detected that you're there. And they, they're going to turn off real slow and headed back out to wherever they want to be. Um, sometimes I could tell you boat positioning can be the key too. So maybe you're too tight to that weed line. And so when you're too tight to that weed line, some fish aren't going to follow. Some fish might follow, but they're going to be lazy. So slide your boat out a little bit deeper, a little further away from the structure. And, and that would be the only thing that I would add to what you just said. Um, definitely... Yeah. I think that, that your points were very key. Um, that would be the only thing that I would maybe add to it. I, I completely agree. And, and sometimes, to be honest with you, I take it for granted. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a jab at my, my pops here because whenever we're fishing together, I'm running the boat. And so boat position for me is just second nature. Like, I don't know, I've got like this x-ray vision. Like I'm constantly watching my graph. I'm looking at, at the stuff on the water. And even if I go through an area once, I've, I can't remember my wife's birthday, but I could probably map out sections of Lake of the Woods right now on a piece of paper on, on where rocks are and where certain weeds are. I, I don't get it. I have this, like, freak memory where I can just see the stuff. And so then, you know, like you said, that boat position comes in very handy. And I, I know you guys have talked a lot about electronics, but you can use those to your advantage, too. So. I guess, I guess, you know, that's one thing that, that anglers should really be mindful of. And it's, it's frustrating and it could get, you know, especially if it's windy or you got some current and you're trying to keep the boat in the right spot, it, it can be, it can be a pill and it takes a lot out of you too. If you're on that motor hard all day, trying to keep the boat in position, you're going to sleep good that night. Hands down, hands down. No, it's, it's, it's work on the water. You know what I mean? And, my, when I'm on the water, my brain is just going in circles. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, okay, I did this, I did that. Uh, maybe I should try this. You know, and I, it it can be um, it can wear you down. There's no doubt about it. That's why we have energy drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I quit. I gave up on those a long time ago because I, I used to drink two or three a day when I was. Uh, guiding full-time every stinking day um i'm guiding again but i have given those up because uh 
yeah, I, I would never sleep then. Um, I don't sleep now. And back then when I was drinking those, I didn't sleep at all. My wife hated me at that point. Yeah, I, I don't like to drink them often, but I, I think, I mean, physical fitness plays a, a big role too. And I don't think a lot of people think about it much when, when we're talking about fishing, but I live a pretty active lifestyle. I, I run, I, you know, I try to, you know, obviously I have to stay fit for the military. So I think that's one thing that kind of helps on those long days is like having that conditioning, you know, on the water. I, I don't think we get enough street cred for what we put our bodies through, you know, pulling 14, 15 hour days on the water. And that's not to mention the two hours that you got up prior and the two hours you're going to spend in the boat, you know, fixing things, you know, to get ready to go do it again. So yeah, physical oh. conditioning, I think is important too. Hands down. There's no doubt. I mean, those first, first three, four days on the water, you usually pay for them. There's no doubt because you're using some different muscles. I don't care if you're, you know, running, working out, lifting weights, whatever. You still have a few muscles that don't get that abuse, you know, and uh, we've touched on this topic, but maybe down the road here, we're going to have to get into deeper a little bit with the, um, the physical side of this whole sport. And, um, it's definitely a part that uh, is very necessary, and it's, it's again comes down to hard work, right? I mean that that's the Hell bottom yeah. line. So, so somebody, what you're saying is somebody needs to come up with a musky fishing conditioning program. <laughs> the shake weight, <laughs> right? It'd be like Diamond Dallas Page with his DDP yoga, you know, the old wrestler guy. It'd be uh, <laughs> Brad, Brad Hoppy Musky Yoga or some something like that. Why don't you get a DVD I, like I, that, Brad? <laughs> we, we need a Brad Hoppy Musky workout video. <laughs> yeah, I'm too ugly. <laughs> I think uh, I think we got a volunteer here, though. We, we've got Mark Stock sitting here next to us, and uh, he could probably get it done. He's got the physique. Um, I, I, I don't know. He doesn't like the camera very much, but we might be able to talk him into we, it. We just won't tell him we're recording him. <laughs> uh, the one question is, is do we get him a fro like Richard Simmons? Yeah, I would say. Like old, <laughs> 19, 1980s style. <laughs> musky workout to the oldies. Yep. No. Sweating to the muskies. <laughs> uh, good stuff well Chris well, one... well Brad since yeah I was, uh, go ahead Jeff no you go ahead fire one at Brad I know you got a few things you want to talk yeah. to Brad about no no it was just something that, that I've been thinking about for quite a while I mean I'm in the military you know I have a big military history background actually that's what I got my my bachelor's and master's in was, was military history and so I'm a bit of a tactician and I always like to, to study and learn, you know, the art of war. And, and one thing that I could say about musky mayhem is that you guys have perseverance, right? You guys have held, held the, the, the test of time while being under siege for a number of years. I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll bring the elephant in the room is that, you know, there's a lot of people that that's knocked your stuff off, you know, whether that be a compliment or, or an opportunity for other folks to, to make some money off of something that you guys came up with. You guys have, have kept the ship pointed in the right direction, and you guys have thrived. And I've, I've just been curious for, for a number of years of, of how you guys weathered that storm. 
You know, I mean, you guys were on a mountaintop and getting shot at from all directions. Brad, can you, Brad and Carrie, can you talk a little bit about how you guys weathered that storm, that storm, how you persevered and how you kind of kept the brand name and the following that you have while just taking shots at every turn? Well, I think first off, Chris, um, you know, we, uh, we had a pretty good jump. And what I mean by that is, is it took about two to three years before people really started copying our design. And, um, of course, everybody kind of put their own little twist into that design. But uh, honestly, you know, again, I say it all the time, and I said it probably three times in this podcast. We put our noses down. Um, we kept working. Mind our own business. And yeah. Kept going. Yeah. We, like Carrie just said, we mind our own business. Um, we're looking out the windshield. We're not looking over our shoulder. And, um, and the reason we do that, and, and it's interesting, you mentioned it earlier that you, you have a nine blade single bladed, uh, bucktail. I didn't even know that you had that Chris. And, and the reason I didn't know that is because I kind of keep my nose clean at these shows. I don't want to know what everybody else is doing. I want to go my own direction. And, um, we even take it to the extent that we stay at different hotels because I don't want to be involved in the drama. Um, and there is some drama in this industry. And uh, what I want to do is go our own direction, do our own thing, and just work our butts off. You know what I mean? And, and by doing that, we have loyal customers, and it's huge. It really is. And I, <laughs> the loyalty of our customers is so large. It really, truly is. And we love every one of them and uh, and we like to hear from them and we're just on a charge forward, not looking over our shoulder. That That's the real bottom line key. No, that, that's, that's some good insight. I mean, it's just, it's just interesting. You know, it's just, I, I look at, I look at it from the outside looking in and I was like, you know, how did they survive? How, how did they make it through that? battle i mean and it wasn't we're not just talking it's not just a one and done type thing i mean it's endless it's 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 ongoing today i mean there's there's folks out there that that just come in and i mean god bless them i mean they they got a dream and and they're gonna do it but that that's that's it you guys have kind of stood the test of time and it's a testament to you know your your guys's character so no, it's so cool. It's just, it's cool to look from the outside looking in and just be like, holy crap, like, look at what those guys have overcame. Yeah, and it isn't just us either, Chris. You know, I mean, we work with Jim Sarek with Muskie Hunter Television. We work with Mike Keys from Keys Outdoors. Um, without them, you know, not just them. I, I, can't, I can't even list everybody that's helped us. You know what I mean? It, it comes down to Carrie's parents. It comes down to my parents. It comes down to really good friends that they're willing to come and, and put hooks together in our shop. You know what I mean? We do everything in house. I know there's a lot of people that think, yeah, everything's done in China. No, we're not Chinese. We're, we're sitting here in our own shop doing our own thing. And uh, everything's made here. And there's, countless countless hours going to everything that we do um it's dedication it's passion and at the end of the day um number one it's about hard work and um and and we're fortunate you know we have some great designs and and we catch a lot of big fish with our product there's no doubt about it but uh 
all of those things mixed together is, is what kept us where we are. And, um, but without the customer, we wouldn't be who we are either. So very important, uh, huge thank you to everybody that, uh, that purchases our product and, um, we love y'all. Well, Chris, you got anything, you got anything else you want to talk to Brad about? No, I just, I, that was just the, the one question I had. I mean, I, it's just, it's crazy. And and back to the, the, the single, the single blade of bucktail. What's funny, Brad, is I couldn't sell it. I mean, honest to God, I, I, I had a tool that I personally like, but it just, it didn't have the, the sex appeal. It, you know, you guys, you guys have a brand and I think that, that that's what's important too. I also look at, at the product diversity that you guys have. I think, you know, quality and, and product diversity, I think is important to be successful in this industry. I mean, you look at Jeff, I mean, Jeff doesn't just sell one brand of custom lures. He's got hundreds of different types of, of lures from different manufacturers with a lot of cool paint work on them. And so I think, you know, I, I would, I would say that I, in, in my opinion, I think the fact that you guys have, have diversified, you know, I think that that probably has helped because everyone's different. Everyone approaches the water differently. Everyone has success on, on different, you know, techniques, tactics, and procedures. And I think we're, we're all a little bit different. So, you know, if, if you can, you know, you have to have that support and that confidence of the customer to begin with. But once they have it, they're willing to kind of try, you know, different products you have and, and find a way for those things to work for them. And so that that's what I think is cool, too. Uh, you know, what? but the other piece of it, too, is I'm going to, I'm gonna, okay, since we're talking some interesting concepts, you know, one thing that, that we try to do is, you know, I I want my products to appeal to the average fisherman, and so I I try to keep our price points in that realm. It's difficult to do, and there's some sacrifices. And I know that you guys have kind of kept your pricing reasonable as well. But to see some of the other manufacturers, you know, come in and and you know put a little bit more time and work into their products, but to ask absorbent prices, and and I to each person in his own as far as what they think absorbent prices is talk to me a little bit about what you guys have done to kind of stay in your price point and what your thoughts are on hundred dollar bucktail well i think that's that's ridiculous (laughs) absolutely ridiculous it's an interesting deal um chris you know first of all you know back to the original part is we are the originators with the flasher booth so that was a big part of it too um you know, and, and the flash boo has been used in many different ways since then. And I'll give all the credit in the world to Carrie. You know, we, she's the reason that that came about. But, you know, with the $100 bucktail, um, you know, I've ha- I have customers that have told me, well, they're all handmade. And I'm like, yeah, as we're at a show <laughs> assembling them one by one. I said, yeah, we don't make ours by hand. Um, we throw them in a box and we shake the box. And they come out finished, you know. And then I have them same people go. Well, it takes twelve hours to build one. That's why it's a hundred dollars. And I'm like, really interesting. So, you know, it's bizarre to me. Um, these price points. Uh, I can honestly tell you that Carrie and I, over a period of many years, um, we kind of ate it. You know, as the prices of all the components that we use. They kept going up and going up and going up, and Carrie and I made less and less and less. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's almost a guilt, if you will, 
you know, that, Hey, you know, how much do you make on this? And, and it got to a point where we had to raise our prices some. And the reason we had to is, you know, brass, uh, a lot of the components that we use are brass and, and brass prices continue to go up. Um, people don't understand um, a number 10 blade. Some of the blades that we have, one blade costs like $3, 3 to 350 on a couple of them. And I know you know that, Chris, but. You know, uh, and we've made some changes as well. Like we had paint issues. Our blades were chipping paint. So we made some changes with, uh, we went to powder coat. Well, powder coat mm-hmm. isn't as cheap. Um, you know, we've ate some of those costs because we believe in our, you know, quality is number one. And um, honestly, quality is number one and delivery is number two. Uh, and that's some of it too. So I... Um, I want our customer and our consumer to just be, you know, they're happy and we're happy and we want everything to work out. And so in some cases we've ate it. I guess that's the bottom line. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, to each his own, but I, I think there, there comes kind of a, a loss of diminishing returns. Right. So like, again, these are, these are all tools to go catch fish you know we, we have to remind ourselves that, that there's a lot of different tools that you can use to be effective on the water i i don't think the muskies necessarily care how many dollar bills are falling out of your wallet to to make that happen no so, that's most wives yeah so <laughs> notice you know, i said most not all most yeah I'm yeah now it's I'm pretty fortunate. Um, honestly, I don't buy as many baits as my wife does, and, and it's pretty ridiculous. Um, uh, <laughs> if you came to my garage, Chris, you would see uh, I've got a tackle shop in my garage. Um, now, some of that baits have been given to me because I'm guiding and what have you, but a lot of them is, is full purchase price, and I don't expect anything at a discount. I really don't because... You know, I know what it takes to make a living in this industry and getting deals is not how these guys remain. So, you know, if I came into the luncheon booth and I said, hey, I, I want that bait, that bait, that bait, I would never look at you and go, well, I'm Brad Hoppy and I'm a guide. I, it doesn't work that way. Um, I know what it takes to make those baits and I know what the costs are and uh, you've priced them accordingly. So th- that's not my style. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's not everybody's style. So, um, but, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, I guess, but it's, uh, I'm fortunate that Carrie actually is willing to run around and grab me different baits. Um, but she's right. There's a lot of wives that wouldn't go for that. <laughs> Fortunately, I have one that is just fine with it. It seems like, or at least she doesn't yell at me anymore because, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm guilty of it, of having, I, I don't have any $100 bucktails, but some of the nice, nicer crankbaits with some pretty cool custom colors, paint jobs and whatever. I, I bought a lot of that stuff before I started TRO. In fact, half, half of that's why I did start TRO. And I mean, it's, it's all great. It's all cool. I like them. I like the handmade stuff. I like to support the small builders. I like everything about it. But the one thing I don't like about it is nowadays it seems like newer people to the industry, newer musky anglers, think that they need to have those particular baits in order to catch fish. And so 
they look at it like, oh, musky fishing is super expensive to get involved in. And I'm not going to tell you it's cheap because it's not. But it doesn't have to be as expensive as what what a lot of these people make it out to be nowadays. I mean, I think we've talked about it on the before on the podcast. For every really expensive $150 bait, there is an alternative to it that's probably been around for a lot longer, potentially more proven. Again, I'm not trying to knock any of those other baits because I do like them and I, and I have a lot of friends that build them, and that's great. But you, if you're getting into the sport, you don't have to spend $150 on any bait to catch a muskie. We've done a bunch of filming this year, and we've definitely not like we've caught um, a good number of fish already this year, and probably a $60 bait. You know that what is that? That's I think that's what the hex is from Phantom Lures. The hex from Phantom is probably the most expensive bait we've caught a fish on, and you know they're readily available. They're not $150. So if you want to get into muskies, it doesn't have to be as expensive as what everybody makes it seem to be these days. Uh, there definitely seems to be a, a collector's market. And, and I and I like that. You know, I, I get it. Guy, just like their baseball cards or, or, I don't know, porcelain dolls for all I care. You know, some people are into collecting, and, and I get that aspect of it. I mean, I've got some nice high-end crankbaits myself. I mean, I guess it's to each his own, but, you know, I, I'm of the same mind, Jeff. I, I think, you know, you don't need to drop a million dollars to catch a muskie. And I, I'm, I'm also fearful that, that some of our younger generations feel that way. Uh, but there's there's a lot of affordable baits out there where folks can, can achieve the same results with with similar products, you know, and, and kind of grow into that. You know, I, I, I guess I look at, I don't know. I look at it kind of like, a, you know, like a scotch, you know, or something like that. Like, yes, there are $200 bottles or $500 bottles of scotch out there that you can go out and buy. I probably wouldn't start there. <laughs> there's there's no doubt. You know, we kind of broke the rules when we came out, you know, with our, with, with the double cowgirl. There was a lot of rules broken with uh, price point. I mean, for a $24, $25 bucktail, it was unheard of, you know, and, and, Honestly, I mean, like I said before, with $3 a piece blades, I mean, you got $6 into the blades right off the top. Um, <laughs> it gets expensive really quick, you know? Um, and, and I think there were some people out there, I, I know there was people out there that said, I'm not paying $25 for a, for a bucktail. And, and I get it. But at the same time, relatively speaking, um, we weren't that out of line with our pricing. We really weren't. And so, you know, it, it, it depends on what it is. A crankbait, there's some crankbaits out there. They're beautiful. And and the guys that are putting through wires and wood, wood bodies and they're doing all this extra work, I mean, there's a lot of time into them. And then some of the custom paint jobs, it, it's incredible what some of these guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, the, the advancements the guys have made in paint in probably 10 years has been un, unbelievable. It's I, ha, I would assume it's probably got to be the biggest advancement you've seen in paint work in the history of musky fishing. I mean, I I look back at um, Mad Town Lures. He doesn't make a ton of lures, but the paint jobs the guy has are incredible. I mean, honestly, I don't even know how long it would take him to do one. I'm assuming that even if he's selling them for 150 bucks, he's probably not making that much per hour. But again, like I said, you don't have to have one of those $150 glide baits to catch a fish. You can catch them on a Phantom or a Hellhound or a Squirko or, I mean, any any $20 jerkbait. So, um, 
you know, Steve, I fish with Steve Jensen quite a bit. He always tells me that depending upon the mood of the muskies, you can catch them on a pine cone on any given day, and pine cones are free. I, I've always said that uh, a two-by-four, you know. So when are we going to see some custom pine cones and two-by-fours on TRL? Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because I was in Steve's boat like two weeks ago. He literally had a bucktail with a pine cone in his boat. Had fishing been moderately okay he was literally going to try to catch one on a pine cone on film but contrary you know like in it's just typical whenever steve and i go up together we get along great in the boat it works well but the muskies just do not cooperate as well as we'd like them to we always get the job done but we always have to work way harder than we want to you know i've had people say like oh sometimes you know i had kyle that helps me at shows he's like you guys need to have more fun on your videos and i'm like yeah we do need to have more fun on the videos unfortunately they're just not that fun right now so <laughs> we kind of got the Isn't season that always musky fishing you always work harder than you want to well i don't know i mean i went you know i went up to northern wisconsin on saturday and in the morning we had to work really hard to catch them and we didn't and <laughs> we didn't catch them but in the afternoon things turned around we changed lakes and we had a window where it was two and a half hours where I had a 32-inch pike and we got four muskies. So, I mean, that part would have been perfect. I could have pulled out the pine cone and let, it, and let it happen. But whenever I fish with Steve, we don't ever have that opportunity. It just never presents itself, hardly ever. Um, I don't know what it is about me and him together in a boat. Hopefully we have better luck when we go to St. Clair. I feel sorry for Jason. He's got to put up with us for two days. <laughs> uh, you guys will have fun either way. You know, and, and I think we all neglect to remember this whole thing called musky fishing is supposed to be fun. And uh, I'll tell you right now, when you're fishing angry, you're you're not happy. Uh, things go way, way south. Um, <laughs> when you're just having fun and you're working at it, things always come together. So that's part of it, too. Well, it's, you know, the guy I was fishing with on Saturday, um, it was, he hadn't caught a muskie this year. He, and that wasn't for lack of trying. He had a lot of time on the water and he kept, you know, he kept talking about certain things and I'm like, just go back to the, go back to the basics, go back to the start. What, what bait do you have the most confidence in? What bait have you caught the most fish on? What color have you caught the most fish on? Start there. Like when I think, you know, we tep, we tend to have, we tend to search through our box a lot when things are tough and we're not catching fish. Like there's some sort of magic lure. And there, there probably is a time where, you know, one bait's going to be hotter than another. But in the end, if you're not fishing confidently, I feel like that's the number one key in musky fishing. If you are not confident in what you're throwing, you are not going to fish it well. You are not going to figure eight well. You are not going to pay as much attention to what you should do. And therefore, you're going to miss opportunities. So my, my opinion, confidence is key. If you're struggling, just get back to the basics. Start out with something that you feel the most confident in, and eventually it'll happen. Well, I, I know one thing that I'm going to do in the boat in the next couple of days. Eat bananas. Um, we're going to be trying. Well, I do that too. <laughs> I'm. I'm <laughs> that's another whole story. Um, but no, um, I'm going to think back um, to Chris, and I'm going to say, man, at least I'm on the on musky water doing what my passion is. And um, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of people out there that want to be out musky fishing, and I'm blessed enough where I spend five, six days a week on the water fishing muskies and uh, you know think of it that way i can tell you this when you're guiding all day and you have the grind and, and maybe the fish haven't cooperated every evening 
when that sun starts to go down, I go, God, I love this. I absolutely love it. And, and it's the small things that we get, we got to remember, you know, truly, 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 you got to remember the small things. And, and when things are positive and things are going good, um, you're, that's when you're catching fish hands down. That's the way it works. So, yeah, I would agree. I mean, like you said, the sunset thing is one I, I think we probably all do it. I imagine you do, Chris. You you take a look at it, and it's uh, I mean that whether you caught fish that day, you didn't catch fish that day. You probably pause for a moment and take a look at it. No, yeah, it's it's just a good. It it kind of centers you, you know. It kind of puts a lot of things in perspective. Like like Brad said, that there's not a lot of there's there's folks out there that may not necessarily have the opportunities that we do to be on the water and and to chase these finicky fish. But at the end of the day, this is this is the path we chose and, and, and just to get out there and get on the water and, 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 and have a good time, whether you're spending time with family or friends and, and chasing them. I think, I think every opportunity on the water, I think, you know, I'm always learning, you know, that's, I try to soak up as much as I can. And, and that's, that's one of the cool things. I mean, I know Brad gets a chance to fish a lot. You've been getting a chance to fish a lot more. And I do miss that aspect of it. I mean, for me, it's all about just, getting out there and, and putting myself in, in a position or a situation that I haven't seen before. And I've heard you talk about it before, Brad, about putting a puzzle together, right? It, all it is is a puzzle. You know, catching the fish is just, boom, you've, you've managed to unlock that, that key for the day. So, you know, some days it doesn't come together, but at the end of it, we're still on the water. So, so life is good. There's no doubt. No doubt about it. You know, I... I love every minute of it. And I think the biggest primary, the biggest reason that I'm a muskie angler is because of that learning part of it. You know, I mean, every day I'm on the water, I learn something and, um, you know, it, it's interesting. I I've had the opportunity to fish with some really cool people and I fished with Larry Dahlberg for a couple of years. And, you know, Larry has had the opportunity to be able to fish all over the world and fish every different species of fish out in the world. And, and it's a question that you pose to him and, and you say, hey, Larry, what's the hardest fish in the world to catch? And he'll go hands down the muskie. And I'll say, why is that? And he'll say, you can locate muskies all day long on a body of water. It doesn't mean you can make them eat. He goes, there's other species out there that take you forever to locate. And once you locate them, you can catch them all day long. Um, you know, <laughs> Think about that. The muskie angler is a special person. It really is. It's a true different breed of angler. And, um, you know, we're all out there. We're all doing some hard, hard work on the water to catch a fish or maybe hopefully three or four in a day. You know what I mean? And, and I think we all forget and neglect to remember this isn't easy. And so, again, celebrate every fish, you know, whether it's a 32 or a 48 or a 54 it doesn't matter they're all supposed to be celebrated and uh that's important i agree um well since we talked about tips and learning chris typically we ask our guest one tip that he can give the listeners to maybe help them put a boat a fish in a boat this season this summer um what do you got? What what's something what's an actionable tip that somebody can take that maybe helped you put a muskie in the boat and you think can help them put a muskie in the boat? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm, I'm big on covering water. I, I, you know, 
I think that's been one of my keys to success as I've been forced to move around the United States and fish a lot of different fisheries is, is I think, you know, whether we read a map or we get a hot tip or someone points us in a general direction of where we should spend our time, it's, it's don't be afraid to cover water. And when I say water, I mean, I'm also talking about geographical water, but also different, different areas of the water column, right? Whether that be the top, bottom, the middle. I think that initially when I, when I get on a body of water, I quickly try to assess, you know, where these fish are set up. Right. And, and some of that's, some of that's, you know, background information on, on temperature time of year. And you kind of short, shorten that curve a little bit, but, but don't be afraid to, to get out there and, and put some baits low, put some baits high, put some baits deep and, and kind of get a feel for what's going on for the day. Uh, I, I think, you know, last year was a, was a challenge, right? So I went up to Lake of the Woods and keep in mind, I only get an opportunity to musky fish once a year. And so I kind of heard a few reports that things were a lot different at Lake of the Woods this year. The topwater bite was completely dead. A lot of the, it, it was a super hot year. So a lot of the water temperatures were three, four, five, six degrees warmer in certain areas than they were in the past. And so I've been going up there for 10 or 12 years. And so I, I had my milk runs kind of established in my mind. And so initially when I went out there with my dad, you know, we kind of stabbed at a few areas and didn't see anything. And, and circle back to that feedback loop. It's like, well, I've heard different things from different people. So, you know, it's time to pick up and move, you know? And I looked at my dad and I said, we got to throw, we got to throw the book away. We're, we're starting from scratch right now. And so I got on the maps, you know, and I started looking, I said, where are some areas where we can find some cooler water that's going to have some structure and some current and some, some complexes It's going to facilitate these fish feeding. And so, you know, that, that's the biggest thing is don't be able to, don't be afraid to, to put the trolling motor down for a few casts. And if it doesn't look right, pick it up and go somewhere else, man. Like just, just be flexible. I guess that's the, that's the biggest piece of it is just, just stay flexible on the water. I like that, Chris. Um, everybody out there, not maybe not everybody, but Jason Summers um, started Chaos Tackle and he sold it to Rick Albers. But Jason Summers has been very, very successful in the PMTT. And I, I don't know if I've touched on this before or not, but it was really unique. I, I was fishing with Jason back when he still owned Chaos. It was quite a few years ago. And one of the things I, I asked him, I said, how are you so successful in the PMTT? And he looks back at me and he starts talking and, and something that he said that I thought was so interesting is, you know, a lot of times when you're in a tournament aspect, you know, you, you're fishing one area. And the reason you're fishing that is you've seen fish during the pre-fishing. And what he told me is he said, I might be beating up this spot for four to six hours. And he goes, I'm sick of it. And he said, sometimes I'll pull up the trolling motor, set down the rods. And I'll pull away about 500 yards away, wide open with the boat, and come right back to the same exact spot and start fishing it again. But he said, mentally, that changes his whole outlook on that spot again. And I went, wow, that, that's really, really incredible. And um, I think about that. Just that mental change drives him to, to be able to get back on that same exact location and actually fish it differently. So just a little tidbit perfect well guys and uh carrie carrie you still awake i'm still awake i know we're getting we're getting close to your bedtime 
because um, you're past my bedtime. Oh, sorry, it's not past my. It is Friday though. It is. It's Friday. It, which I have to thank everybody for staying up this late on a Friday night. It's not super late because I still got work to do. But, um, anyways, uh, does anybody? It's only five sixteen in Hawaii. Well, <laughs> it's probably still nice and sunny out there. Are you gonna go on the beach tonight or what, Chris? Uh, that's tomorrow. Fantastic. Does anybody have anything they want to add to this episode before we shut her down? I think it was really cool to have Chris on the podcast, and uh, you know. Hey. What you're doing is is so unique in this industry. I, I love it, Chris. I think it's uh, it's refreshing to hear a, a whole different side. So I just want to thank you for being on. Uh, I appreciate both you guys, and and you know, I, I we did not do this alone. I mean, I, I can't stress that enough to to you guys and to the folks that are listening. There are a lot of people in this industry that when Matt and I arrived, they they. They, they stuck their hand out and they introduced themselves and they said, Hey, if you ever have any questions or concerns or thoughts, give me a call. We're here to help. I mean, I get it. There's, there's just like when we're on the water, there's a competitive aspect of it. But at the end of the day, we're all driving towards the same goal. And there were a lot of people in this industry that went way out of the way to help Matt, me, Carrie and Katie. And so we're just very grateful to be surrounded by a lot of like-minded people that share the same values and, and, and have the same character as we do. So, so thanks for, for setting that precedence. You know, uh, Brad and Carrie, you guys have, have always been at the tip of the spear with, with just leading by example. And, and, and I appreciate that. And Jeff's a close friend of mine. I mean, I talked to Jeff a lot and you know, he, he's, he's got what it takes, you know? So I appreciate both you guys and, and thanks again for having me on. Yeah, for sure, Chris, you know, and I, if there's a way that we can share a boat, man, let's try to figure it out. I'll have uh, Jeff share share your number with me and uh let's talk let's uh let's see if we can get that done sometime awesome so chris let's talk about lunge and lures for a second before we're out of here hopefully everybody tunes into the end um by the way that story about people opening up their hands and shaking your hand and helping you out with the industry that probably wasn't a reference to me i probably saw your email about me carrying your stuff and i probably ignored it for about four days before i'm like man i should probably reply to this chris guy i don't even know who he is <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I'll be honest with you, Jeff. I, I saw what you were doing, and and I knew immediately that uh, I wanted to be a part of it. And and I'm I'm very grateful that after four days of making me wait, you finally replied. So, so thank you. Uh, you know, you, you you've definitely found your niche in this market, and and you've you made a mark. And and it's it's awesome to see it. It's awesome to see it grow. So. Thank you for making me wait four days. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad. That, it, was, it was probably more like four hours, actually, knowing Jeff. <laughs> I mean, Chris, Chris, honestly, not to drag this podcast out a whole lot longer, Chris was probably one of the first companies that that reached out to me, you know, aside from me having to go try to get them and bring them, you know, and, and try to convince them to have their product with me. Chris was probably one of the first ones to reach out to me. So Chris probably didn't wait four days. He probably got a reply right away. Unfortunately, people that do that nowadays, um, sometimes they got to wait a little longer. Because back when I, back when Chris probably got on board, I don't think I was that. I mean, we were probably you know looking at three, four orders a day. You know, maybe I was probably still doing it before my by myself before Mel decided to wander down to the basement one night and wonder what the heck took me so long. And she's like, "Holy cow, you're actually selling some fishing lures! I didn't expect that." Um, so. Anyways, I'm guessing that 
that Chris didn't have to wait as long as most people do nowadays. Um, anyways, Chris, why don't you, um, why don't you go over if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about lunge and lures, um, why don't you let them know where they can find out a little bit more about lunge and lures? Sure. Well, first and foremost, uh, our, our number one priority has always been supporting our retailers. So if you, if you happen to be looking for any of our products or product lines, I would say first visit our retailers. We've probably got 40 retailers stateside, a few in Canada and a few in Europe, but you know, all your major players, you know, they're, they're going to have them. So, so visit, visit Jeff, visit, you know, all your different shops, you know, whether it be Muskie Tackle Online, Rolling Helen, Storm Brothers, there's a lot of little shops out there, brick and mortar stores that those guys are, are working really hard too. So if you got a local fishing shop by you that happens to carry our product, please spend your money there. If for some reason that you can't find it in any shops nearby or you don't want to put an order in with Jeff because he's got too many colors, you can you can visit our, our website at lungeandlers.com. We've got all of our products up there. You can you can purchase them directly off our website. And so that, that's just uh, a couple of options for folks if, if they want to do that. If, if you're looking uh, for some more information about how to actually use our products, uh, just like Brad, we, we work with, with Mike Keys. You can take a look at some of his YouTube videos. He's, he's got our products in his hand and, and in a boat, and so he's found some unique applications for them. So, And if, by all means, if you got any questions, you can hit us up at info at lungeandlers.com. Or you can send us a, a Facebook or Instagram message, and we'll usually respond within minutes. Perfect. So, Brad, uh, you want to talk a little bit about Musky Mayhem Tackle? Just give us like a brief uh, brief overview of Musky Mayhem. I know we've had people ask us a little bit about it. They're like, why don't you guys describe your companies a little bit? Because, you know, honestly, we do the podcast for, you know, we don't make anything doing the podcast. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about Musky Mayhem, just a quick lowdown on Musky Mayhem. Well, Muskie Mayhem was uh, formed in 2005, and uh, it started with uh, with the double showgirl, the single bladed showgirl, as well as the double cowgirl. And uh, what we're probably most known for is Flashaboo big bladed baits. And um, from there, we ended up with Eagle Tail, um, which is a bucktailed um, uh, inline spinner uh, spinner bait. So. Basically, um, you know, what our whole company is really adjust to it is is all inline non bucktails for the most part. And uh and it's a lot of fun. So I mean that's the just to it. And if people want to know about Muskie Mayhem Tackle. It's really easy. You know, you can uh look us up on the web and uh that is real simple, ww muskymayhemtackle.com and that is m-u-s-k-y-m-a-y-h-e-m p-a-c-k-l-e dot com perfect otherwise you can reach us also on facebook instagram and we'd love to hear from you we'd love to see some fish pictures and things like that so we're always intrigued to uh see what people are out there doing with our baits and and uh I know you're catching fish. Perfect. And my name is Jeff. I own a company called Team Rhino Outdoors. We are an online retailer, and we carry probably the majority of the major manufacturers in the musky world. We carry a bunch of colors, so if you're looking for something that's you're, that they don't have everywhere, you'll find it with us. If you're looking for something that they have everywhere, you'll also find that with us in, in all likelihood. 
Uh, you can find us at www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. You can find us on Instagram. That's Team Rhino Outdoors. You can find us on Facebook, Team Rhino Outdoors there. We have a YouTube channel. Now we have this podcast. So we're pretty much everywhere you can find us. Um, speaking of the podcast, this is Backlash Podcast. You can f- get in touch with us at backlashpodcast at gmail.com. You can find Backlash Podcast on Instagram if you would like us like our page there. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Backlash Podcast again on Facebook. If you're listening on iTunes and you want to consider helping us out a little bit, give us a rating, leave a, leave a review, let us know how we're doing. If we suck, let us know. Brad and I and Carrie all have, you know, we can all handle it. We're all big kids. Um, what else, Brad? What do we got? What else we got? Oh, Backlash Podcast. You're obviously finding it if you're hearing it now, but you can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify. I think that's it. I miss it anything, Carrie? I don't think so. Yeah, the the last part is is that uh actually the next two days we're gonna be filming for some of our YouTube stuff too. Um you can find us on Musky Mayhem Tackle um through YouTube. You know, it, it's something that we've kind of neglected a little bit over the last couple of years, but we're also gonna be doing some filming and uh hopefully start launching a few different shows right on YouTube. So it's it's cool stuff, man. We we love all of it, and that's our passion. Absolutely. Well, once again, thanks for coming out, Chris. We really appreciate it. Brad, Carrie, thanks for hanging out with us on a Friday night. We'll see you guys again, or we'll talk to you guys again in a few days. Hopefully I got a report from day one from St. Clair, and we'll talk to uh, – I, hopefully we're going to talk to Brian Schaefer. So thanks for everyone coming out tonight, and we'll see you all next episode. Thanks, Jeff and Chris. Thanks.